0: Backstage Pass Radio is now a global podcast heard in 70 countries around the world. Our newly formed partnership with Signad Outdoor has us seeing great traction in Texas and Louisiana. Since Signad's beginnings in 1964, this family-owned and operated advertising company has become the largest independently held billboard company in Texas today. SignAd prides itself on unbeatable service and turnaround time. Let their experienced design team create the perfect advertisement to showcase your business. Contact SignAd today at 713 861 6013. And also make sure to visit their website at www.signad.com and tell them Backstage Pass Radio sent you.
1: Well, I stumbled across today's guest on YouTube while on one of my Saturday morning binges. Hey, you guys, it's Randy Holsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. And the interview is coming to you from right here inside the Crystal Vision Studios this evening. Stick around and I will introduce you to talented Texas singer-songwriter Paul Noyola when we return.
0: This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey.
1: Paul, welcome, man! It's great to see you finally. Right, indeed, thank you, buddy. Thanks for making time for sure, me. Sure, sure. We kind of been going back and forth a little bit for a couple of months now, yeah, right? Yeah, so. sure
2: have. I, I keep up with you online and see all the cool stuff you're doing.
1: Awesome. So well, thank you so to much. Come
2: sit down and talk with. Yeah, you.
1: man. And you're actually, I'll go on record to say you're the first person to come in and interview in the newly expanded Crystal Vision Studio here. If the listeners can see in their minds, eye, there was actually right where that white guitar is right there. There was a wall that separated. That was a bedroom on that side. Right on. And this was my studio from there towards the window here. And I told my wife, it's like, man, I'm outgrowing the side of the house. So we knocked the wall down and expanded. So I love it. You're breaking it in, man. You're breaking
2: it in. It's comfortable. It's inviting.
1: Right on. Well, this worked out perfect because you're playing Later right up the street here on Telgi Road, so you're in the area already. In the area, so it was nice and convenient, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well welcome to Cyprus. We'll talk a little bit about where you call home and where you're from here in a minute, but I was going to go ahead and put you on the spot earlier and see if you could maybe kick us off with an original song. Definitely, get us going, man.
2: Definitely would love to.
1: Awesome. All you right. Me tell you, you me tell
2: you the name of this one right
1: here. We'll, we'll ta- uh, tell us the name. And then when we come back, we'll talk about it. A little right, bit on this more. one's
2: called holding on to hope. I released this one this past March.
1: Awesome. See That was the recently released holding on to hope great job Paul sounded great man. man
2: thank you so much yeah i uh that was kind of my first song coming back out here and starting to play again. I know there's other guys and gals out there that they're musicians they're artists at heart, and they kind of come bounce in and out of the the scene over the years and 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 that's definitely what i've I've done just you know, life and other things going on. And, uh, I've been out of it for, man, probably five or six years now. And, um, holding on to hope was a song I wrote about 12 or 13 years ago, and I never did anything with it. I recorded a little demo and, and had it. And, um, I just liked the song. I really, it meant a lot to me and I wanted to do something with it. And so, when I started getting all this stuff together and getting thinking about performing again and writing again and playing again, I dug that one out and uh, got it recorded and Sweet. threw it out there into the world back yeah, in March.
1: I dig that, and we'll talk a little bit more about the weaving in and out of the business here in just a minute. But thanks for letting me just throw you to the wolves there right off the bat. and uh, yeah, sometimes not, that's not, the best not, way. Not, <laughs> nothing like saying, go get them, boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's the best way. I hear you. Well, you have a very nice tenor voice, and uh, i can I can say that I wish I had one. I've been blessed with a nice voice i think um that's that's gotten me by over the years, but it's more of that baritone voice right yeah. so I can pull off a lot of baritone things that a lot of people can in that lower register right but I think that that tenor voice just sits in the pocket of the highs and lows of a guitar and it just sounds so nice so nice job and and great 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 vocals there man what would you say you kind of told us what the song is about but what what do you think inspired the song for you
2: man heartbreak you know it was a relationship song and it was a breakup song and uh as i wrote it it kind of took a life on its own without necessarily coming out and maybe being a, a heartbreak song that hits you in the face, you know, it's, it kind of morphed into just a, a life song and, and the way I use the word hope not getting into the weeds too much, but uh, the, 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 girl I was dating at the time, that was her name. Okay. And uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so you don't see that on the face of it, that it was, uh, no. you, you, you take it as I'm holding on to hope. Sure. But when I say it like that, it was a breakup song. Interesting. And her name was Hope. That's so it, it kind of took a life on its own, uh, like I said, and, and a meaning on its own. And and I don't think of it as a as a in those terms now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's been a lot of life lived between the time I wrote that song and now. But
1: yeah, it's cool how good songwriters. There's plays on words. That is just awesome, and I think that 's what makes a a great songwriter like nobody would have ever picked up that her name was actually hope and I had a guest in the past on my show by the name of Kyle Hutton, and Kyle is a local singer songwriter here and runs a uh, a great podcast uh, it 's called Real Life Real Music that he does from uh, Live from Doy doe and he brings in some great artists on that show, but he he sat here in the studio with me and he wrote a song called Three More Bottles and She's Gone. And on the surface, that song sounds like it's a drinking song. Three more bottles and she's gone. But the thing that people, well, they would have learned after the interview but he was a foster parent, and so they would oh, get the babies, wow, right? And yes. he just knew that three more bottles, and she was going to be gone back to the original mother, right? Wow, and so it wow. was, it got real heavy at that point in time, right? Because I think a lot of people just hear music on the surface, uh, but but probably guys like you and I. We get in the weeds of the song. What's the song about? And you know, so that's really cool. The play on words, the lyrics—they're they're pretty amazing. So, well, thank you. And that's something
2: I normally don't do. I don't know if I've ever. There's probably a handful of people that know what that song's about, and it's not something I I usually come out and, and talk about. Not really on a lot of my songs. I don't really sit and dissect them for people, sure, because I'm I'm not I'm I'm a very abstract writer in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and. I think that may appeal to lyrically, may appeal to a wider base of people, hopefully, because maybe you can apply it to your life or your life or your life more than just if it was
1: a direct, you know, in your face lyric. Sure. That's very, very common in the conversations that I've had over the last couple of years with artists they usually don't tell the the behind-the-scenes stories because they want you to use the music and the canvas how you want to interpret it. But it's still neat to know because I believe that people listen to them in a different way, right? Cool. Use it how you want, but this is what the songwriter was telling you about. So if you care anything about that, that's great. If you don't, you use it as your own. I love both ways, right? You can use it both ways because... How many times, you know, were you a teenager driving down the road and you just broke up with the girl and you hear that song come on the radio and it's like, wait a minute, did this guy know I just broke up with like, it's like they wrote it for That's me. Right. That was, That's you know, right. that I interpreted it my own way. Right. That's it. Well, share with us a little bit about where you grew up and then where you call home now. Yeah. I, um, I was born in Port Arthur, Texas in the city
2: and, um, in my early teens, about 13 years old, I uh, my mom and dad got divorced. And my mother moved us up to the country in a place called Brooklyn, Texas, over on Lake Sam Rayburn. Okay. Over in East Texas. East Texas, yeah. 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 And that's where I am today. I've never left. I've had opportunities to leave for different things, you know, for jobs and things. But I don't want to be anywhere else. I mean, I guess you could look at it like... Some people work their whole lives to to move to a place like that, and I'm there and living a wonderful life and, and the life I want to live. Yeah. And, and why leave? You know, you're way ahead of the curve. Then right? I guess, I guess so. <laughs> you can I look at it so. like
1: that, yeah. And and how long have you been there in Brooklyn?
2: Yeah, since I was 13. So probably 30 years. I've been in I've been in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's just a little yeah. little spot on the map, you know, sure. one one stoplight town. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've been through a few of those. And, and when day. I say
2: I live in the country, like, a, a lot of people don't comprehend what that even means. Mm-hmm. Like, my nearest neighbor is probably a mile from me. No kidding. I live out in the middle of the woods. I'm surrounded by thousands of acres of, of land that's owned by the timber industry mm-hmm. and the national forest and... So, like, I'm, like, lone survivor out wow, there, wow. on,
1: you know? So, on a dark night, you can actually see the stars oh, where you are, oh, right? yes. <laughs> like, like, no problem. You know what? I've gone up. My, my buddy had a place up in Woodville, right? Not far from Yeah, not yeah. far. And, uh, man, it's so crazy on, you know, when it gets dark, you look up and you see millions of stars in the skies. And I always said... Why do we not see that in the city? It's because of all the lights in the That's city, right. right? That's right. And it's an amazing sight because here, you know, in the Cypress area, you look up, you see a star here, a star there, right? But, you know, out there where you are, man, it's it's breathtaking. It's, the,
2: it would shock some people because, like, you know, the noises that you're accustomed to here, the traffic noises and the sirens and just everything from the city. Like, it's nothing. Yeah. It's wow. just Bugs and frogs and <laughs> way distant sound of a highway somewhere
1: far away. Yeah. And the coyotes howling and the owls hooting and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way it is. Well, I talked to somebody the other day. You know, I've always been the city boy, and I said, you know, the older I get, the more appealing it is to get away from. I, I just don't human well anymore, right? I'm ready to just, but then. I think about it on the same hand and say, I don't. I'm so used to the amenities of the city that's right to have to drive seven miles to get to the grocery store. I'd probably starve yeah. to death. Twenty, because, 20. yeah, 20. there you go. And I have a <laughs> a, a friend, uh, a, a girlfriend that I graduated from high school with that bought a bunch of land out in Pipe Creek in the hill country. And she's like, "Yeah, it's like 22 miles to yeah. get." to. And I'm like, "Mary, that's crazy. Like, I couldn't imagine. Like, if you forget something at the store." What do you do? Well, you wait till the next run. The following. Time. You plan ahead well. Those <laughs> yeah. lists come in handy. Oh, wow, you know? yeah. So
2: that's, I mean, it's a way of life for the most part like that. With little stuff like that, it's definitely a way of life
1: living. That's cool, living man. Living way out like that. That's cool. I have to get out there to your place yeah, sometime, man, yeah, and actually yeah. see the stars again. That would man, be cool. I,
2: I'd shock you because I'd
1: be like, come on, Randy, we're going to go
2: coyote hunting or hog hunting or something. <laughs> right. and, wow. That would be different for sure.
1: <laughs> well, who or what... Do you feel the culprit was for giving you the musical itch when you were a kid? Where did that come from for you? Man, um... Have you been thinking that you may need a little exercise in your daily routine while having a little fun doing it? I may have the solution. Hey, it's Randy Holsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. And about six months ago, I purchased an electric bike from Ecotrick and just thought about using it as a way to kind of get the blood flowing a few days a week. And to my surprise, I find myself on the bike just about every day. Not only am I getting a little exercise each day, but I'm also having a fun time seeing the neighborhood and maybe some areas that I probably would never have seen before I got the bike. Today, my family owns four of these EcoTrick bikes and we're looking to add a few more soon. Make sure to check out the link in the description below for more details.
2: It's a tough one, I guess, because uh, I guess if it was going to be one, because my family, you know, my mom and dad, my immediate family, we didn't have, you know, a lot of these artists now are, they, well, my mom and dad played music or we all sat around and sang and everybody played an instrument. So it wasn't like that in my house. So my aunt, my dad's sister had a guitar. Now that family, my dad's family, there were musicians in that family, okay. but I didn't, I didn't know any of that sure, stuff. Okay. I was, that family is so spread out you know in, in in age with those brothers and sisters and and so my aunt was quite older than me all that was family was a lot older than me so i wasn't really you know we weren't close in age yeah, so no, i didn't I know a lot of the stories sure. and a lot yeah. of the history and, and things like that but from what i learned later was that there were a lot of um musicians in that family uh, fiddle players and guitar players and and uh I inherited a guitar, Gibson B-25, from my aunt. And, you know, I think it just... I was about 12 years old, and it was kind of me wanting to, to emulate... The musician, I think I've been to a couple of concerts and okay. I thought it was cool to yeah. see, you know, George Strait on stage or Dwight Yoko. Man, I loved Dwight Yoko when I was that age. Oh, yeah. I mean, just loved what he did because he did it so differently and he, he had a rock element to it. He was a little edgy and a little he was Bakersfield sound, still right? honky talk, yeah, you yeah, know, and I sure. loved, I, I still do love that. I yeah. love that. And, um, and so it was kind of wanting to emulate those guys yeah. and, and learn their songs and stuff. So I just I acquired that guitar and I sat down and and like I said, my parents divorced about that time. And so it was a comfort to me to be able to sit down and play these songs and not only playing those songs, was that a comfort to me trying to learn a new, a new, a thing, a new thing of playing guitar it kind of took my mind away from what was going on in life. But that's kind of where I, the the creativity of even the songwriting started, even that early on Mm -hmm. when I first grabbed the guitar, I was wanting to create my own songs and, and things, and I may not have even known two chord progressions but you know i was trying to to write songs as this sure. even then so i think that was the genesis of of me kind that of makes sense. Getting interested yeah. in music and it wasn't long after that um i felt comfortable enough to i think the very first gig i ever did I was probably ninth tenth grade in school whatever i was about 13 or 14 mm-hmm. and we have a big homecoming event at our school uh, there in brooklyn every year and um I talked to one of the, the people that run. It's like, let me come up there. And when everybody's eating in the cafeteria, you know, because they would serve food. And I was like, let me get on the stage and, and play my guitar. And it was a big deal for me. And and I got up there and did that. And, man, I was scared to death. <laughs> and, and what's funny is I still get so nervous when I perform. At first, you know, to sure. an extent. Yeah. I remember how nervous I was yeah. back then. I think that was part of the excitement of
1: it, just yeah, getting yeah. that nervous and getting sure. those nerves and... Getting in front of no, I like hear that. you. But, I hear you. It's that's interesting that you say that. Um, somebody asked me that in an interview one time. I did an interview with the Tomball Press, and they said, "Are you are you nervous before shows?" And I said, "You know what? I'm not, man. I just maybe I've done it so many times that I don't even think about it. So if I'm in front of you know 100 people or 150 people, and I've played festivals for like 3,000, it doesn't bother me. But if I sit down in front of like three people," it's like it's kind of nerve-wracking because as you know with an acoustic guitar there's no hiding behind things it's it's just so raw it's just you coming through the guitar and you hear all the mistakes all the errors right and that's that's the beauty of the acoustic instrument right and people always wonder Randy why don't you play the electric anymore I just get so much satisfaction from the acoustic man Yeah,
2: you're talking about how much pressure is on you when you're um, playing acoustic and stuff. That's why I've really pushed myself since I've started performing again over the last six or eight months, pushed myself to get out and do these acoustic performances yep. because out of every kind of performance I've done, when I've got a band behind me, man, piece of cake. Oh, yeah. Like, I still that get a little you. nerves, yeah. but gosh, I can get on stage. And the last few bands I was in, I was I didn't play an instrument unless we did like an acoustic song in the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was grabbing the mic and I was yeah. getting after it yeah, out front sure. and just... just performing and entertaining and that was that's so easy and Mm -hmm. it's so much fun but like you're saying when you as soon as you sit down with a few people or a small room and you're on acoustic man that's probably the hardest performance
1: I can think of of doing they call that a safety net you know when you got three of your best buddies up on stage that are making some racket with you oh yeah, it's like you're just up there doing your thing you don't think about it but, but when you're out there in front with an acoustic guitar and a mic, you're vulnerable, right? You're vulnerable totally. to mistakes. You're vulnerable to just things in general that totally. a band is not. Because those drums are getting hit so heavy. You know, if you like miss fret a, a, a chord or a, or a solo, nobody thinks or nobody hears it, right? Because there's other instruments covering you, right? Not with the acoustic. It's not that's like it, that, right? That's it. Was there an instrument before the guitar for you or has it always just been the guitar? There was. I grew up
2: going to church. You hear this all the time. I grew up going to church, singing to church. Well, that was true for me, too. So that the singing part was was something I've done from an early age and and been subjected to through church and things. And that was one of the first times I I got up in front of people. And, and, you know, when I was like six years old, singing in front of the the congregation in church, but as far as an instrument, no, that was, we had a piano in our house growing up, but it was more like a, a fixture, you know, just okay, like sure.
1: a piece of furniture piece of right. furniture. Yeah.
2: and we'd bang on it. But I, I never took the initiative to learn how to play it. And I wish I would have, if I, there was any additional instrument I would like to play it'd be the piano for sure. sure. Yeah. Especially for songwriting purposes.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful instrument for sure. That was my background was classical piano, right? So, I wish yeah. I knew that. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Well, were you, so you're basically, I, I think I understand you were, you were kind of self-taught on the guitar. There was no f- really formal lessons or any theory lessons. It was just you just picking around and just learning what you learn and how you learned it. Right? Yeah. I've never really taken a, taken a lesson before. I
2: had guys that would over the years sit down with me and show me how to play different songs and things like that, but no real like. Legitimate yeah. classes or anything like sure. that. So sometimes that's better, though. Like I don't that, know. And, I yeah. don't know. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've just kind of you sh- you're slow to progress that way. I sure guess, you and, are, and, yeah. and, and unless you got somebody kind of pushing you, so I wish I would have done that. Yeah. I wish I would have. done that.
1: Well, it sounds like you know you got going with the guitar and you began the whole songwriting thing pretty quickly after picking up the guitar, right? I did, and there was a local guy that
2: lived in, in my little area, and he was a local entertainer, and his name was Lobo Loggins. Okay. He lives up in in, in Tennessee or somewhere now, but Lobo th- heard about me, and you know, he heard that there was some 15-year-old kid running around wanting to gig and performing at these little things here and there, and somehow or another, I got invited over to his house, and he sat down with me, and he was, he was one of those guys that showed me you know, how to play some songs and sure. things like that. Well, he realized, I don't know if I had written something by then and, or if I had played something that I'd written or I just expressed interest that I wanted to write to him. But he turned me on to a guy that lived down in Viter, Texas. He said, you need to go down there and meet my buddy, Don Rollins. And I was like a, like I said, a 15 or so I must've been 16 at the time mm-hmm. when this happened, because I was driving myself okay. down to Don's house So I didn't really know who Don was or anything. Lovewood just told me that he was a songwriter. So I contacted Don and made arrangements to go meet him and everything. And I show up and uh, Don just kind of took me under his wing. And I didn't really realize what all he was doing at the time. But he was a staff writer for Warner Chapel and was He was kind of, I guess, I'm going to guess here, but I think he was just kind of beginning his songwriting journey on that level. And Don really mentored me in songwriting for a while. Nice. And some of the first songs that I wrote that I actually went later and performed, I've never recorded them, but I went on to perform them in, in the band I was in in my, in my mid to late teens. Me and Don had written some of that material. And Don was nice enough to me that he was going up to Nashville to record some demos of, to submit to Warner Chapel and he invited me to go with him. So here I am like a 16 or 17 year old kid getting to, invited to go to Nashville by a, a staff writer for Warner Brothers and Warner Chapel. And, and there was a guy from Lufkin Texas that had moved up there also that was also a staff writer with Warner Chapel and his name was David Williams and he went by D. Vincent Williams Okay, and we we met up with him and I hung out with him up there in town for like five or seven days or something went in the studio and watched all these demos get cut I did some songwriting sessions with David Williams I was up there and I think back now you know, you've got this kid, this 16 or 17 year old kid with minimal life experience, minimal music experience, and they're just sitting down with me, taking their time. They're staff writers for this giant publishing company, and they're taking their time to to, to mentor me and and help me along with my songwriting and guitar playing and all that. And, and man, the, that kind of kindness is something that never leaves you. Oh, it no. never I'm leaves great. you, and it's something I always think about. And, and I, I, I'm still in contact with Don to this day, and to keep in touch with him. He's since, he moved to Nashville at one point, lived there for a while. Matter of fact, Don Rollins was a co-writer on the Grammy Award-winning song "It's Five O'clock Somewhere" that Alan okay, Jackson sure. cut. Don, okay. Don was the co-writer on that. And he's written a couple, a, a lot of other stuff that's been recorded by a lot of other well-known okay. artists. But that's
1: the the, the, the big one. The yeah. big one I can yeah, think
2: of sure. right off. And Don has since moved back to Southeast Texas, and I'm, I'm back in touch with him. And I, I've expressed to him several times. I've reached out to him several times, like Don, you never will fully know what that meant to me. You, you to take your time, some dumb kid that Mm -hmm. had a dream sure, and you spend your time with him, but it just means so much to me. It means, uh, of course it's something that I try to keep in my mind when I see other, other, uh, you know, youngsters wanting to get into it or
1: they call paying it back or paying it forward. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I think a couple of years after you started playing the guitar, you immediately jumped right into play in three and four hour shows, you know, and those are, as you and I both know, four hour shows can be a, a pure ass whipping vocally. Right. And for the listeners, this is this is probably somewhere around. Forty or so songs a four a four hour show is probably about 40 songs. So imagine putting on the radio and just singing 40 songs straight. That's about what it equates to. Would you agree? Paul? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're referring back to the time when I was in my mid teens there and I, I, I got a job at the local country club okay. performing every Friday night. It was their, it was their steak night, you know, and um, the, the story that led up to that is just a part of my life journey that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade, definitely wouldn't trade any part of this, what I'm about to tell you, but I'm so thankful where I am today. And it's every little piece of that that's happened to me in my life has led to me even sitting here with you. Today. Yeah. But when I was in high school, I met my first band members and there was a group. We had driver's education is what okay. it was. And I'll try to make this as fast as possible. Sure, sure. It's, a, it's a cool story. Yeah, yeah. It, it tells a lot about where I came from and, and, why things were like they were. But, um, so I was performing a little bit, doing some solo stuff around in the, in the area. And just wasn't doing that gig yet. That Friday night gig. Well, I was taking driver's ed and a group of kids had come over from another private school, not far from me. And it was a couple of guys and a couple of girls. Well, I started going out with one of the girls from that group. And then I got to be good buddies with a couple of the guys and they were musicians and ended up forming my first band with those two guys. And this was about in 94. Okay. In the summer of 94. And it was kind of a summer fling, you know, I guess, dating this girl and things. And hell, I was 15 years old, you mm-hmm. know, I was young. Yeah. And so I established that band with those guys around that time and ended up playing with them for the next four years or so. And well, she got pregnant. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, my son was born march of two of ninety five and i 'm a sixteen year old kid i 'm you know what eleventh grade in school mm-hmm. and so life just hit me in the face you oh, know yeah. like you got a, some major responsibilities now and so uh I needed some income and so I was working at a auto mechanic shop after school for a couple of hours and the music thing at the time I was just performing little, you know, stuff here and there and whatever. I was still kind of, I've only been playing a year or two and sure. it wasn't really good, but I was getting out playing these little things here and there. So my mom had the idea that I needed to go over to this country club just down the road from us and try to get a job performing over there and see if I can make some extra additional money so I went, talked to the chef. The chef was a big Austrian dude, and he could barely speak English. And I walked in. He was real intimidating because it's a big guy. And uh, his name was Patrick. And Patrick, he's like, oh, because I just walked in, like kind of mm-hmm. cold walked in sure. and just like asked to see somebody in charge. And uh, he's like, sure. Well, uh, come back on Wednesday night. I want you to come back next Wednesday night, and I want you to play like an hour or two, and I'll see what you, if you're good enough. So I did that. He ended up hiring me and he, he just kind of said, well, indefinitely, you're the Friday night entertainment at the country club. So that's what I did because I could make, man, I could make like three or four times more money on one Friday evening than working all week at the auto shop, you know, during the week. And I was a 16 year old kid and and I really needed to make that money to to support my son. And, and so, yeah, that's how that came about. And that's.
1: Well, you've played in a multitude of bands over the years. Do you prefer the solo thing or do you prefer the band thing? Talk to the listeners a little bit about it.
2: Man, I prefer the band thing for sure. The solo thing, man, they're two different worlds. Mm -hmm. They really are. The solo thing, man, it almost kind of comes down to the material also. Because especially with some of the stuff I'm writing now, That's really singer songwritery type stuff, Mm -hmm. man. I can really connect with you with those songs on my acoustic guitar. Sure. And a band would kind of almost degrade with that song, muddy it 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 down too much. You know what that song's about. But as far as just like freedom of expression and entertainment value, and getting to just go wild on stage and sing as loud as you can and perform as, as hard as you want to like the band, like that,
1: that's the most fun. It's a cool vibe. Oh my goodness. There's nothing like it. Well, I think throughout the years, you know, you've shared the stage with some pretty big name artists. I think Leanne rhymes and Mark Chestnut come to mind, but share with the listeners kind of like the feeling a musician gets when they either play or invited to play on a bill with some of these names of people that just are huge in the industry or people that you've idolized over the years. What is that feeling like? It's, uh, it's humbling
2: in a way, man. I tell you, I, I, it's, especially at a younger age, because a lot of this stuff was happening to me before I was 20 years old. Okay. So as a kid, as a child, basically as a teenager that kind of stuff happening for you it I didn't handle it always maybe the right way or process it the right way now I would definitely I would be not that I didn't appreciate it then it's man it's hard to explain as a kid you probably have these dreams of rock stardom sure you're gonna be a big star and everybody's looking at me and you're real self-centered in some ways, and mm-hmm. it's hard for a kid to process a lot of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure. And so, how that felt, I mean, <laughs> it made me hold my chest up high. Sure. Walk around like very I was proud, yeah. very proud, you yeah. know. And not that I wouldn't be proud now if something like that happened, but I definitely process it differently. Like, And plus, you've been doing it a little longer, so yep. it's kind of like you you just kind of go with the flow now. It's like, oh, this is cool. And and I've got people I I um, respect in the industry and things, but I just kind of really look at people as people a mm-hmm. lot more now. Sure. When I was a kid, you know, you had these idols in music and it was like, ah, it's like one for instance, man, I love Tracy Bird. He was from mm-hmm. my area sure. and he started his bass tournament series down there out on Lake Sam Rayburn. Man, it must've been like, the late 90s he did his first bass tournament down there and i was friends with the sealies who were putting that tournament on and i got a slot to be the performer the okay. the mm-hmm. act down at the the final weigh-in of that thing and it was tracy bird's tournament man i idolized him yeah. and, you know like i look i thought the world of that guy and uh that's kind of like what you're asking.
1: Absolutely, sure.
2: So so to be at an event like that, you know, the night before we had a dinner and you're at a dinner, you know, talking to Tracy Burton, just hanging out with him sure. and, and having dinner with him. And it's surreal, yeah, I it's, guess is
1: the word. It's an incredible feeling, I'm it's, sure.
2: It's like you're in a dream, especially as a kid. But
1: yeah. Right. yeah I yeah, can, those- I can only imagine... The feeling, But if you took that to another level. So I just came back today from from Nashville and I took my first tour of the Grand Ole Opry while I was there. And there's a little not to give the tour away, but there's a little segment where you walk in. It's the very first thing. It's kind of it's a video, but it's emceed by Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks. And they're talking about the Opry and the history of the Opry the circle, standing in the circle to play. And it showed a compilation of people playing for the first time at the Opry and then being asked to be a member of the Opry. And Paul, I'm literally sitting here just as a a person that bought a ticket to this thing, and I'm sobbing for these people. Like, I have tears in my eyes because... The energy and the emotion that these people have—this was the pinnacle. Yeah. If, you, if you're asked to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry and you're a musician, that is the apex, man. You you have you have arrived. If yeah. if that happens, and I was overwhelmed and I wasn't even one of the artists being asked, right? So I could only imagine when you're asked to to be a performer with you know a big name or or whatever, it's very humbling. It's almost like you don't deserve it, but it's a very proud thing, you know, and it's something like you said, it's, it's, you know, it's something you can kind of puff your chest up and say, you know, this is really cool. You know, I've, I've done something right to get to this point.
2: It's almost a little less stressful because it's kind of like you, you're being validated going on a show like that. Sure. And so it gives you a lot of, a lot of, uh. And what's the word where you feel very sure of yourself? Sure, Uh, self confidence. Self confidence. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. you feel very self confident at that point. You're like, man, I could do this. They've asked me to do this. Yeah.
1: Well, it was interesting to learn that Matt Sebastian played bass guitar in your band. And then I saw that you guys were song swapping together out at Fortress a while back. And I'm like, how do these guys know each other? Like I thought Paul was from the middle of nowhere and I asked you to be on my show before I knew of the connection between you guys. So it's, it's a small world, right?
2: It is a small world. So in the, uh, I guess 2003 or four, I was kind of, I'd been out of music, uh, if, if just to back up and recap those, those early two thousands of my, my life there. So I was in that Western ste- Texas swing band in my late teens. And when I, start, became tw- when I was 20 years old, I thought, man, I'm going to have to get into a career. You know, my son's getting older and I need to get a steady income and a good job sure. and some benefits and things like that. You know, start living within the constructs of society. And, sure. And so my dad was a policeman. And I thought, well, that's probably the quickest, easiest job, best job I can go do. So I went to police academy, kind of, I, I quit the band, the, the, the Texas swing band. I was in the tailor-made band is what it was called. That was from like 95 to 98 or 99 or something like that. Okay. And uh, I, I left those guys and went to police academy and became a, a policeman. And um, I did that for about four or five years until, well, I was actually a policeman for almost 10 years. Okay. But about four or five years into that career, I got the urge again. You okay. know, you, sure. you weave in and out of music, yeah. you know, yeah. life happens sure. and things. And I got the urge to uh, start performing again. And I just want to do something different. You know, the the scene down around Beaumont, I was starting to go out and I had a little money because I was, I had a job and stuff. So I was, I had some friends and we'd go hang out and go to concerts and stuff. And the music scene was popping down around yeah. Beaumont at the okay. time. And like they had a, uh, an Antone's down there on Crockett street in Beaumont. And there was a bunch of little, little rooms that bands would just cram into and cram people into. Wow. And it was just like rock music and hardcore mm-hmm. and like punk music and stuff like that and it was a different world for me coming from the country music i'd come from to this this hard rock you know screamo like hardcore stuff and i'd always been a fan of all music Mm -hmm. in high school you know i would listen to everything from uh rage against the machine to uh, Tribe Called Quest mm-hmm. to Johnny Cash and Keith Whitley mm-hmm. or George Strait. You know, I listened to everything. I loved music all genres. So, so getting into some of these live venues in the early two thousands and seeing some of these rock bands playing and they're just going crazy on stage. And like, just, there was, it was just, there were no rules, yeah. you know, there was no, like you could picture the ideal country performance in your mind, where the lead singer stands, where the drummer sits, where the bass player, how they st- how they perform, how that whole performance goes, you know, Yep it's a kind of a standardized thing. Absolutely. And then I was going into these little clubs where there were these rock bands plugged in wedged into a corner of a room mm-hmm. and just like cranking up the amps and yeah. like distortion and just, you could feel it. Yeah. And everybody was just pressed up against the front of the stage and just having a blast. And it was
1: a lot of energy.
2: It, it was so much energy and so liberating and free to experience those rock bands like that. And it, it was something, it did something to me. You know, I was like, man, I want to do this. I want to do that right there. So around 2004, 2005, um, I started looking through whatever we had at the time. I don't, I don't remember what kind of wanted, you know, Craigslist or whatever. And I found an ad for, you know, guitarist and bass player looking for singer and drummer, something like that so these guys were down in Nederland, texas so i rang them up and ended up going to meet them and i'm a 20 whatever three or four year old cop okay you know want, yeah. to, want to join a rock band well they were like 16 and 17 years old so i was like well this is cool they're not gonna be bad guys. they're gonna be good good guys you know yeah, and sure. we're not gonna be getting any trouble i'm not gonna be around anything i shouldn't be around right. and And so, man, we hit it off. Well, the bass player was Matt Sebastian. Okay. And the guitarist was Billy Wills, Will Will Wills. He lives over in Florida now in West Palm Beach. So, yeah, we struck that off, and we we were looking for a drummer, and not long after that, we found a drummer from Anahuac, Texas. And his name was, uh, uh, he couldn't drive to audition or band practice for a couple years because he's like 15 years
1: old. Wow, okay.
2: And so his name was Grady Saxman. Mm -hmm. Okay, So Grady shows up, 15 year old kid, his dad brings him over and he starts unloading, loading in all these drums and he's got this huge, nice kit and everything. And I'm like, man, this kid's never going to use all these drums, you know? And he turned out to just be phenomenal, like this phenomenal drummer at 15. So we called that band Demagogue and, um, we recorded a bunch of music, at least I guess in today's terms, I guess it'd be like a full album's worth. We put okay. an EP out and then we did a, a half-assed full album, you know, it's probably mm-hmm. seven or eight songs. That rocked on, that rocked on for maybe, I guess three or four years. We played in that band. Okay. And we toured around Texas a little bit, Louisiana a little bit. And... um we were kids, you know, I was, I was the oldest one. And for a long time, they didn't even know I was a policeman. I didn't tell oh, them cause funny. I didn't even want them. I didn't want them to treat me any different. Yeah. And I would do that a lot because people would treat you different. Oh yeah. If they knew you were a policeman, you know? Sure. So I didn't tell them for a long time. And, uh, I think they all came up to my house one weekend after we'd been a band for a while mm-hmm. and Billy rode. I, I think he showed up at my house. I was like, come on, let's go into town and get some food and stuff for the weekend and barbecue or whatever. And I was like, come on, I'm going to take you to where I work. And I took him to the police department, like walked him in there. And he, he was like, what, <laughs> the? what is this? I, yeah, this is where I work. So, uh, it was no big deal. Yeah. I mean, they, they were, they, they thought it was pretty cool and everything. And, uh, So, anyways, Bill has gone off. He lives over, like I said, in West Palm Beach now, Mm -hmm. and Matt's here around uh, Cypress area, and he's performing. He's got his band. He's doing well, so I'm proud of him, and Grady, that dude, he continued playing drums, and he started touring a little bit, and then he settled up in Nashville a few years ago and became a session musician, and now... Grady is the he's he's making a name for himself up there. He's got Saxman Studios. I know a lot of people. Who's this uh, Peyton Howie? Sure. She's just recorded with him up there. I'm trying to think some other people that from this area that may have recorded with Grady mm-hmm. up there at Saxman Studios. But his uh, his guy that masters for him Frank and he's his little mastering suite. Up there at Grady Studio is called uh, Fuselage. Okay. I know a lot of people use Fuselage Studio. Uh, just went on radio tour last week, playing some uh, acoustic guitar for Caitlin Kohler, who's got her new single out. Everywhere I go, and she had sent me the wave file for it for me to learn the song for we were on on radio tour. And then I noticed the the initials on the on the file, and it was it was like. It was Frank's initials from okay. from Fuchel Lodge. and I said, "Caitlin, who mastered this song for you?" And she said, "You know, I think it was done up there." And I said, "My buddy, Frank, or the guy that masters my stuff, Frank from Fuchel Lodge at Grady, who was my drummer in my band. Wow, small world! I man. think he mastered your song, That's and so cool. it ended up being it ended up being Frank up at Grady Studio. So yeah, it is small world. It that is, is super neat.
1: cool. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting because I've known of Matt for several years now of course and we play a lot of the same venues but Matt had asked me to come out and song swap with him at Fortress probably about I don't know 6 8 months ago something like that and I went out that was the first time he and I ever played together but yeah it was interesting to find the connection between you guys it's like I just thought you were some guy out in East Texas and <laughs> like you know and then all of a sudden you got this connection with a mutual friend and it's like wow I've been really in the cool. scene
2: you know here and there like I said I bounce in and out of it and coming back into it i'll tell you it's tough because the faces changed the venues change so much the the way of doing business as far as just getting your music out and distributing your music and everything has changed so much of the last 10 years and bouncing in and out of it it's a such a learning curve and, and you're starting from ground zero like from from the ground up you're starting from from nothing to 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 get a little you know recognition in the scene, because I get back out here and start playing. Absolutely. None of these venues know who I am. Not right. that I was ever anybody. Sure. Right. But I mean, I was I actually, I was working in the scene a little bit. Yeah. Playing music and writing and stuff. Yeah. So all those connections, you might've had those people you knew that booked this place or that Correct. place. Man, they're gone. You know, you don't. Yeah, any, sure. So getting back out there the last six or eight months has just been such a struggle just getting in some of these places. And that's okay. I'm not trying to gig all the time just enough to keep keep me tuned up you know keep me in front of people keep me in in, in satisfied and that satisfies me but I tell you it's 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 tough getting back out here after quitting a little while so the lesson in that is anybody that's out there and you, you enjoy doing music and you really like it don't let the grind of the business side of it or whatever don't let that force you out of it sure like enjoy it for making music for the creativity for the art of it go out write your songs if you don't if you do if you don't go out and play your songs sing and don't let anything run you out of the business because um there's a reason why you do it if it's the right reason then then stick with it and uh i wish i would i wish i wouldn't have quit all the times I could, sure, sure. even though I had to, just to let life happen and, yeah. you know, starting businesses and building houses and getting married, those things happen. I needed to do those things. I wanted to do those things. Those were important things to me at the time, but I wish I would have kept playing music to some capacity over those years. And instead of just putting the guitar completely away yeah.
1: and not playing, you know, and that was, that was me. You know, I was in a couple of bands back in the eighties and kind of did this and that with the music. And then, I just stepped out of that whole thing and just kind of became the recluse musician for 30 plus years. And back in 2015, it's like I started seeing these solo artists popping up. You know, back in the day, it was just bands, bands, bands. It was there was really no such thing as solo musician, right? And I started seeing these solo guys. It's like, well, wait a minute. I, I think I can do that. And And I jumped into it with both feet. And... I think up until 2021, I was playing about 130 a year. And I back that way down, but yeah, you you if even if even if I go two weeks without playing a show, and I get back on the stage, it's like this is kind of weird. I feel rusty even after two right. weeks, right? So you really do right. if you're if you're a musician, get out there and gig, man. That's play in it. front of whoever you can, and whoever will let you, you know, dial, dial a sound in. Play, play 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 anytime you. That's can. That's
2: why I'm so thankful to Matt for for having me out to to song swap with him at some places because. Before I decided to kind of get back into it, he had been performing for a year or two and playing some of these acoustic shows, and he had been getting really settled into the scene and and booked a lot, and he had started texting me, dude, you ready to play again? Come on, let's go play a, a, a duo show somewhere, and I was like, dude, I have no desire to go play. Music. I'm not doing it. And this was a yeah. year or two ago. Wow. And he stayed on me for a while, mm-hmm. stayed on to me. I was like, finally, I was like, Matt, I will contact yeah. you when I'm ready <laughs> to go play. But right. don't sit around and wait on me. But I appreciate you. I appreciate the invite. But I have no desire to go play music. Yeah. Well, yeah. At, um, so, some good stuff happened to me last year. I was recognized by a notable person in the area. I don't know if you care to hear this whole story, but it kind of pushed me back into the scene and helped me usher me back into the scene. But even before that, to to set that up, so being being a face around my little community that had always kind of played music, I'd always run into people that would be like, do you still play? Why don't you play anymore? You right. know, wish you play. So I would hear that a lot when I was getting groceries or whatever. And, and so finally I decided to do, um, this was a couple of years ago. I decided to do a little thing where I would record myself playing one song, like on Saturday mornings on my sofa mm-hmm. and post it on my personal Facebook page. Okay. And it was kind of like my little, like segue into hear Everybody that's asking me to play music. Sure. Go watch this and here's yeah. this should satisfy you, I hope. So I started recording those. I was calling on the s- Saturday morning sofa sessions. Okay, you know? cool. So yeah, yeah. I would just kind of pull a name out. And it was a good way for me to kind of make myself practice a song or learn a new song. Mm-hmm. Or, and it was a way for me, to an outlet for me to perform Absolutely. for people. Yeah. So I'd done that for a little while. And one morning I got up and I woke up with that aha song you know, take, take on, on me. me yeah. I woke up with that in my brain and, and I, I started looking around the internet and I found like the acoustic version. I was like, Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. And I, I like that a lot. So I said, let me do my little Saturday morning. sofa." So my wife goes out to work on Saturday morning. She's got a yoga studio with Jasper. So okay. she goes and does classes in the morning. So I'm at home by myself. It's quiet, you know, and I sit down and record my little Saturday morning sofa session. So I did aha. Take on me mm-hmm. that morning. And there's a local, uh, radio personality around this houston area he's based out of houston named michael barry okay and his producer i had i had kind of palled around with them online you know joking back and forth and things through twitter and facebook and stuff and because i'm a fan of their show and we kind of just became uh, acquaintances online you know as a i was a fan of theirs Mm -hmm. and we just kind of you know, became those online acquaintances right, like you do sure, these days. Yeah, right on. And Ramon, who's the producer of that show, he followed me on my, on my, we friends on Facebook or whatever. And he saw that aha video and he sent it to Michael. He, and it, I guess it impressed Michael.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Man, that was a big thing for me coming back out and start playing again because I was like, man, you know what? Maybe I do still have this ability to get out and play and perform. And it really lit that fire back in me yeah, when, good. when Ramon noticed me and Michael played the song on his, on his show. And I was getting all this flood of Facebook traffic and nice and stuff. And it was, it felt good to get that recognition again for my, my music and stuff, even though that wasn't my song. I was just covering Correct. a song. It, it just felt good to be recognized. So, uh, yeah, that really lit the fire in me to really start writing again. And then, so the thing clicked in my head like, oh, Matt wanted me to come play acoustically. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't long it's after that. a great that, segue, yeah. Yeah, I, I hit Matt up. I was like, dude, I think I'm ready to get back out in front of people. And it wasn't long after that, I started doing a few little song swaps with him. And I tell you what, man, he... uh it's exactly what I needed because having that additional person there, when you're playing acoustic, where you're not having to do song after song after song. But man, I was so scared getting back up again. This was only six or eight months ago. And man, I was so scared because I was rusty. I really hadn't been in front of people. I hadn't been playing my acoustic. I wasn't confident in my guitar playing at the time and 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 things. And I was even doubting my material I had written, Mm -hmm. you know, and even been performing over the years. And it's just a, getting comfortable being back in that setting absolutely. Again. But yeah, Matt had a lot to do with well, it. And, and also Michael and, and Michael Berry and, of course. and Ramon too. Of course.
1: Well, they, they validate that you still have the chops and you can get out there <laughs> and do your thing. And that's a good thing. Sometimes that's what it takes is that push to to get you to jump off the bridge, right? It takes oh, yeah. the bridge jump. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you've weaved in and out of the music scene, of course. And you had a couple of singles that uh, I, I think it was last year that you released. And, Earlier uh,
2: this year. This March was the okay, first this one okay back out. Okay, yeah.
1: okay, all right. And I was wondering if you had another one that you might share with the with I the do. Listeners. Earlier this
2: year. So, like, Ho- Holding On to Hope was a song that I had, had written about 12 years ago and just got around to recording it. Well, I've been writing a ton of new material and I've got one that I wrote at the beginning of this year and I recorded it and just released it back in June and actually had no intention to release any of this stuff or try to do Texas radio and all that stuff. It's just, I don't know if it it made its way or if it fit into that. Then, then I'm very thankful. I'm not ungrateful for any of those opportunities with Texas radio or anything, but it's not something I'm pursuing. Sure. I'm not trying to write for Texas radio or perform to be a Texas country artist. It's just not, because I'm really not. Okay. I'm really not a Texas country artist. I mean, do my f- songs kind of fit in that that genre? Yeah, I guess. But sure. But I'm, I'm a little departure from... What a lot of these guys are doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's good or bad. Sure. I don't know how the scene looks at that. But, but Claim to Be um, is the song that I just released. It, does kind of fit in that my my biggest problem is getting these three three minute and 30 second songs to come out of me you know my songs are like four four and a half minute songs you know and so that's not really the best thing for radio format but i went ahead and, and threw this in the mix and and went to radio distribution with claim to be so it went out to radio on july the 10th and it really surprised me the radio distributor has a run and tally of how many times your song's been downloaded by stations and and things. I use CD text to do my distribution and man, for the year, I had jumped up to number 36 spot like with this song. Very good. I had like 132 stations Download my song, and that could merely be because, like, who is this guy? Let me just sure. get this song sure. and, and listen to it, and then they never play it. They may mm-hmm. never put it in a rotation, but just to be, just to for it to be noticed. Absolutely, like that, man, no, it meant okay. a lot to me. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's
1: pretty cool for sure.
2: Yeah. So, claim to be that's right. this new single.
1: Let's give it a whirl. What do you say? Perfect. All right. <laughs>
3: not cold, I just can't bear To feed old thoughts from time is so unfair An anchored heart in a sea of doubt If it drifts along this world, I'll rip it out And I'm not free, not really free to claim
1: That was the uh, recently released. Claim to be great song, man. man and you're, thank you. So and your and your voice is very nice. It's very settling. So thank kudos you. to you for that. Thank
2: you. Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm 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 using my complete range, and a lot of stuff I'm still writing. But mm-hmm. that's a more vocally for me. It's more of a mellower song. Yeah. I do like
1: to use my range in a lot of this yeah. stuff. I well, well, use it or lose it is what they say, right? And yeah. that's great. It, it, and it sounds great. How many songs would you say, if you thought on average, how many songs would you write a month? No, not many. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I know there's guys out there killing it. and just Yeah. Like, right, but yeah, there's no right or wrong answer <clears throat> though, right? I'm just curious, like for yourself, yeah. like how many?
2: I'm mean so much I mean it varies, I think on average, maybe about two probably okay, wow. I'll finish about two up that yeah. i'm that I'm really happy with like finishing I'm like yeah, this is sure, solid, sure. you know, like this is a really solid song,
1: I' probably do about two, yeah, well great song. Thanks for sharing your musical talent with myself and the listeners there. Anything else new in the works for you as, as it relates to new music that you're you're thinking about releasing or that you're writing for an upcoming new record that you can talk about to yeah, the listeners? I,
2: I really don't write with a goal like that. I'm not right now writing for a goal of like a record or something. I'm just writing. I'm just writing. It's just an organic thing just, for you. And that's Just good. writing good. as much as I can. try to make songs i like you know i'm not trying to write these things to fit into something um whatever i'm not writing them for anything other than myself and um so no 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 not not for an album i'm just kind of releasing singles sure you can do that these days which is cool i I realized that like get back it's like oh you don't have to do albums anymore you can just do singles and trickle them out there absolutely so some projects on the table man I this started out like I said a few months ago I told my wife I'm just going to write songs and record them and release them and I might play a something out live here and there and then it turned into like well I'm playing live here and there I'm I'm just going to do a date or two a month and then you know that's turned into three or four and then it's like but I'm definitely not doing a band again mm-hmm. and then a few months ago I was like honey I think I'm going to start a band okay so The guitar player from the last band I was in based out of Lake Charles, uh, which it wasn't my choice. It went, I think the guys did it as a a joke or anything, but we went by my last name of Noyola, Mm -hmm. um, based out of Lake Charles, one of the guitar players in that band named Josh. He's always just kind of like Matt always stayed in my life and always Mm -hmm. been on me by like, Hey, let's start something up. Let's start something up. So Josh is always on me. So when I kind of got the the, the desire to get a band going again i contacted josh said hey the time's come let's get a band together and uh i just decided to do things a lot differently this time not really a, a d- democracy yep. in the band i said you know with the band i'm going to promote it as an artist it's going to be me and basically you know i love you but you're just you you guys are going to be hired guns basically
1: yeah. and just you're the uh, supporting group yeah right? yeah
2: so and i mean I think if you had that conversation up front, Absolutely. it's fine. Absolutely. These guys, if, if if they understand that from the yeah. beginning, you know, you find the right people that are down with that, they don't care.
1: It's They're called fine. setting proper expectations. So
2: right? I set those expectations from the beginning. Josh is fine with that, and I just wanted to run this thing as an artist. And so that's the project on the table. I've got a, I've got a great bassist that's working with us now at Lake Charles. So I didn't want to have another band. Like I said, my previous band, Noyola, was based out of Lake Charles. Where I live out in the middle of nowhere, I don't really have that talent pool you know, 15 minutes from me that I can draw from these musicians. So I've got to choose, like, am I going to go to Houston to try to start a band or go to Lake Charles to start a band? So it ended up being Lake Charles again. I said I wasn't going to, you know, do that. But here I am again. Sure. Going, driving to Lake Charles a couple times a week for rehearsals and stuff. But man, from the get go, uh, Josh was like, man, you're going to have hell finding a drummer. And I was like, nah, we can do this because I've never had trouble finding musicians in the past. Mm -hmm. And man, it's been a struggle finding a drummer. And so um, I think I may have somebody i'm not sure so lake charles drummers need a drummer may have one i right don't on. know but I'm, I'm open to anybody else still looking for the right good like a good lead guitarist sure. i want a country picker mm-hmm. um, even though i'm not really playing country music i want somebody that's well versed in country picking and then rock music also Yeah, right on because i'm doing the kind of that arc uh, americana type yeah know, it. Um, rocky Singer songwriter stuff. Yep, yep. I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah, but so that's the project on the table right now. Trying to get this band wrapped up so I can get out and do some live performances with them.
1: Well, it sounds like the shows from the booking of shows is kind of an organic thing. It doesn't sound like you're you're pushing heavy or whatever, and just trying to kind of wedge your way back in. Is that fair to say?
2: That's it. Just um, trying to get some, you know, just get get noticed by some some guys in the scene. I think that's been one of my strategies because is just to to as me, as a, as a artist to kind of get back out and get my chops, you know, Yep. whatever the term is for get, sure. get get comfortable back yeah. in the scene again yeah. is to network with some of these other guys out playing so man I've been hitting up random artists out here and like hey you don't know who I am but I'm a songwriter and I live way in East Texas if you ever want to write a song together or you want a song swap or something let me know so I just that's cool And that's the way most, to do.
1: Yeah. most of these people are like who the hell is this guy yeah. you know well you know <laughs> and, and like, like Matt has done for you which is great because you, you're able to saddle him up a little bit and ride in on his coattail that's right to, to place like Fortress and, right. and, and Max, like because somebody, somebody booking at Max is going to hear you play tonight and they're going to say, Oh man, let's get that guy in there. And I've received shows basically the same way a, f- a friend saying, Hey, can you fill in for my Thursday night show? And I go and play, and now I'm a resident that's artist it. at some of these places, yeah. right? So that's really the I found that it's the good old boy network. If you're the outsider, it's kind of tough to get in. You have to be persistent, and I you know and the- find your wedge in.
2: I am so much the outsider right now, and I've just been trying to do that networking sure. and, and
1: meet yeah. these, you meet the these guys you do and it. girls. Well, Paul, listen, man, it was it was great spending time with you and getting to know you. Thanks for your gift of music and for sharing it uh, with myself and the listeners of Backstage Pass Radio. You guys make sure that you go out and follow Paul on his socials and uh, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And, and Paul, I'm going to get you to maybe... Let them know how to find you on social media. And I know you have a website, so share the socials with, with yeah. the listeners so they know where to find you. Instead
2: of running down all the socials, just my uh, website is paul, P-A-U-L-N-O-Y-O-L-A, N-O-Y-O-L-A, paulnoyola.com. And it's got links to all my socials and you know YouTube videos, right everything you'd, right on. You'd, you'd expect to find.
1: Well, I ask the listeners to uh, make sure they check out that page again, paulnoyola.com. N-O-Y-O-L-A dot com. I ask the listeners to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on Facebook at Backstage Pass Radio Podcast, Instagram at Backstage Pass Radio, and on the website at BackstagePassRadio.com. You guys make sure to take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you right back here on the next episode of Backstage Pass Radio.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music and on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.